We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Who's here? Welcome to the Pragmatic Duelist Podcast. This oh. is your <laughs> this is your N- NPR voice podcast. <laughs> we should do the whole podcast talking like this. I'll fall asleep. We cannot do that. <laughs> Can we try what's your Fox voice? Fox, Fox News. Fox Let's get angry. News. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Pragmatic Duelist Podcast. We're gonna Where overbear we everything you think. That's right. And you better agree with us. Or, or you're else. an asshole. That's, That's right. right. Look at the sound things. <laughs> We're all crazy. I like the NPR one better. Mm-hmm. Don't, yell, some... don't yell at me. I'm sick. Should yeah. we do some BBC as well? Or... <laughs> Breaking news. Yes. Good morning and welcome to the BBC podcast, The Pragmatic Doulas. Our guest this today is the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been watching she... The Crown? Oh, you started. I started. You're holding, you're holding it for Christmas. Hold Christmas. Oh, and I've only watched one. I'm, I Me could, too. I could not. I cannot hold off for Christmas. Um, I'm not enjoying it. That's why. I can oh, hold that's off easy to Christmas. hold off then. And I've only watched one episode so far. Somebody assured us. I think it was on a one of your threads that we'll get used to the change of characters. Oh, I'm sure. I, I mean, I love the queen. I'm, I'm doubtful. Mm-hmm. I think I she's love, great. Yes, the actor who plays cool the queen. Man. Um, she's the one who Georgia and Karen love so much. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. it Olivia Coleman? Maybe, Olivia? yeah. Maybe. That yeah. sounds right. She's yes. amazing. I yeah. love her. She's great. She's great as the queen. But you hate... I hate Peter Tobias, Tobias, Tobias Menzies. Menzies. Yeah. yeah. Hate yeah. him um, with a passion. Every time I, I, I look at his good. face, I want to punch it. You think he's Black Jack Randall? Yes. He makes me want to vomit every time I look at his face. And I or like... Or Frank. You think he's Frank. No, Frank, I liked. It's the blackjack. Blackjack I, Randall. I, he, was so, he was so good at being yes. despicable yeah. that I despise him. I, yeah. I feel uns, unsettled. I can't watch any show that he's in anymore now. <laughs> like, I watch it and go, next. Ew, him. I can't. Yeah, I can't like, look you at like, your face. And he's got that, like, I'm an at Like, it's like resting bitch face, but for a man. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like. Like mm-hmm. he smelled something bad, and you are the most <laughs> and you're annoying probably individual the person source. he's ever met. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. And he might rape you in a moment. Exactly. Yeah. You know, those are he that's looks not like a, good a sociopath. It's not a good combination. But that's how good of an actor he is. But yeah, it's mm. it's very hard to. And already, I, I didn't what he's like, like in real life. You know, so he's already. I'm sure playing... he's delightful. <laughs> are you? Come on the are podcast. You? We're you? inviting you. Tobias, prove your delightfulness. You know you're listening. <laughs> oh okay. my God, what a segue. Talking about shows on Netflix. Right, yes. That, and we didn't even plan that. Nope. We're well so done. good. We're, We're good. so good. Because um, I think one of the things we want to talk about today is that crazy wild story mm-hmm. um, told by Seth, Seth Myers. Myers on his new Netflix special. Mm-hmm. Lobby Baby. Yeah, and it's about his lobby baby. His wife literally had their baby in the lobby of their apartment building, and I can't even get over it. What gets me is, their first birth was precipitous. What the fuck did they think was going to happen the, the second, second time? time? That yeah. they were going to leisurely wander into the hospital? Yeah. 
Yeah. No way, man. If mm-hmm. it's fast the first time, it's going to be you even faster out. the second you time. You better watch out. Yeah. God and plan a home birth, people. Holy it's shit. okay. I know, man. Yeah. So I'm you want to so tell us, tell, tell what happened. For people who are not interested in Seth Meyers and are not going to watch the show, but absolutely love a precipitous birth story. Well, I, so I watched it, um, the other day, Monday, mm. because I taught a class on the weekend and a couple of people brought it up mm-hmm. and were saying, you know, well, when do we panic? Like, we saw this and now we're like all freaked out about birth and whatnot. I'm like, okay, well, I haven't seen it. So I'm just going to go, when do you panic? You don't. Mm-hmm. Okay? You don't. You call, if you're in trouble, you call 911 and you don't panic. And if you do, you panic in your head so that she's not panicking. <laughs> but I thought, okay, well, let's watch this and see. And I, for for some reason, I thought the whole thing was about birth. The birth, yeah. Um, but it wasn't. I mean, it, I don't mind Seth Meyers. He's funny. <clears throat> but I guess his first birth, they gave birth almost in an Uber. Yes. Um, on their way to the hospital. Yes. Can you imagine being that Uber driver? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, fucking yep. floor it. I, we are not stopping at red lights because yep. you are not having that baby in my car. Well, mm-hmm. I've heard some cabbies won't do it. Like, they pull up, they see you yeah. laboring, they'll just keep going. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I tell people that. They're Don't like, tell them you're in labor. You're just, no. I'm just a pregnant person. That's all. Just yeah. 3 a.m. Just yeah. ignore <laughs> the belly. Yeah. If you hear me grunting back here, it's all right. Nothing's keep driving. It's nothing happening over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing to see. Sorry, he's sleeping on your coat. Oh, oh! It's my coat is like um, won't I could just shake it off because it's vinyl. Yeah. All right, thank you. Just <laughs> just some cat maneuvers here, people. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Mom's being an asshole today, so okay. All right. Um, and then they gave birth very soon. I can't remember how soon he said they got like, to the hospital and. Boom. I think it was almost in the lobby of the hospital. Yeah, by they the barely got to L and D. They've got a thing about lobbies. Yes, <laughs> clearly <laughs> they feel re- very relaxed there. Yeah, their children are destined to be doormen. Yeah, concierge people. And that was one of the <laughs> funny things where the other, the one doorman won't look them in the face after yeah. this incident. And the one was like, oh, it's my child. Like, it was like, <laughs> you know, he felt, felt like all he was one. part of the process. So, I mean, I think that part of when somebody in the class asked you, when should they panic? So don't panic ever is a very good childbirth educator response. I would be more likely to say, if you see a baby's head poking through the sweatpants, you're allowed to panic a little. Yes, that's true. Because <laughs> he literally saw yeah. the baby coming out of her through her sweatpants, and, yeah. and, and she and she. And what did he say? He was going to turn around to mansplain that the baby was not here. Oh, yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, it was like. And meanwhile, she was she's holding like, a cannonball like in her crouching, crouch walking and holding the baby, trying to find a suitable place in the lobby to lay down, to, to lay down, so the rest of the baby could come out. Oh my god! Oh my god! That that's a fantastic story. Yes. As somebody who's had precipitous births. Yes. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate, you know, the other fast birthers out there. So. So we had, I tell this story, this is the story I tell in class about, and it was your client to start. Okay. Um, but you the had. The one on the stairs? No, you okay. had to go, you had to go away somewhere or something. You had a family emergency. Yeah. Um, and she called me and said that her water had broken. And I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem, whatever. Um, you know, go have a rest. It was like lunchtime when she called. 
go have a rest, you know, call me back when the contractions start, because they didn't live close to the hospital, but they were shooting for an unmedicated birth. Um, and she was GBS negative and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, go have a rest and then call me back when the contractions start. So she calls at dinner and says that, um, you know, their contractions were seven to eight minutes apart and we're going to the hospital. And I'm like, no. okay. Not going to let you in. I'm not going to. Try to not let her sense you rolling your eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to. I trust that, you know, the birthing parent knows better than I do. I said, okay, well, I'll meet you there. So this was dinner time, and I kind of grabbed my stuff, and I was like, okay, well, I'll go see what's going on. Because I had never met them before, so I figured I might as well go and see what happens. And plus, I hadn't been a doula that long, so I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> We're going to mm-hmm. go early. Um, and then halfway there, the dad called. He must have driven like a fucking maniac to get there so fast. Um, but they said, she's one centimeter dilated. I was like, yeah, I guess. I could have told you that. But... They said, well, why don't you just don't come? And I'm like, well, I'm already halfway there. So here I come. Here, I'm going to come and we're going to meet and all's well. So we go, I get there and I go into triage, like 15 minutes later, I go into triage and I'm like, okay, well, where are they? And the way this particular hospital was designed, there was like a long, there was triage, a long hallway, and then postpartum was at the end. And the triage nurse said they just walked up the hallway. And it wasn't a very long hallway, but long enough. And there's railings along the wall, like all good hospitals mm-hmm, have. Mm-hmm. And she grab. I walk up. I'm approaching this couple, and she grabs onto the railing and she squats down and goes. <gasps> I'm like, oh shit. shit. Okay, that sounds <laughs> well. That sounds quite interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. I squatted down and introduced myself and whatnot, and uh, <laughs> we talked for another minute or so. And she again goes. <gasps> I'm like. Okay, no, this isn't good. <laughs> and I go, okay, why don't we go to the bathroom? Because I thought, you know, maybe she's got a full bladder. Maybe it's causing some more intense contractions. You know, let's see what happens. So they had their stuff in a room. They hadn't been admitted, but they had their stuff in a room. And we go in, and she sits on the toilet. And every two minutes, she's... <sighs> I said to the dad, I go, okay, so we got to get her checked. And he goes, they won't do it. I already tried. Because according to them, <laughs> she's not her. Get out of here. We don't want you. Exactly. So I watched another contraction. I'm like, yeah, no. Go out and tell them that she's pushing. So the nurse goes out, comes back in and uh, with her, and she watches. Like, we get her into the bed. She watches a couple contractions, checks her, and she's nine centimeters dilated. <laughs> so... I would have missed the whole thing if I hadn't, you know, yep. if I hadn't come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she had the baby in arms like 45 minutes after that. And then the next time she had a baby, um, every time she cramped, we went to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yes. And third time's a charm. They checked her, water broke, and baby like literally floated out. Holy shit. But that's the thing. Like, what do you do? If this had happened now, I'd be like, yeah, go and then call me and see what happens. Yeah. And I wouldn't have gone at seven to eight minutes apart. No. Like I right. just said, you know, yeah. just call me when you need me. I've gone to a labor seven to eight minutes apart and that I was there for 40 hours. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it is not out of the realm you know, of hardiness yeah. that you stay home and say, yeah, let's wait a little bit. It, it is it's experience. Most of the time, seven to eight minutes apart is not. It's not good active labor. No, and it's mm-hmm. not time to. I mean, the other side of the coin is is that I think I've gotten to the point now where I do trust that the birthing parent knows mm-hmm. that something's up and mm-hmm. that they need to go. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't try, I don't try and discourage people from doing that. Mm-hmm. If you want to go, then you go. If that's yeah. going to make you feel better, then you go. Mm-hmm. Do you need me to come? That's the, the thing. second question. Do you need me to come? Mm-hmm. No, we're good. We're going to go and we'll call you back. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That right there saves me. Yeah. Because you told me not to come, so I'm not coming. Yeah. Right? And you're going to go get medical, uh, a checkup. Exactly. In the medical establishment that you've chosen. Exactly. And so that also covers you. So you just need to wait and see what the hospital says. Yeah. And I'm not going to, part of, I very rarely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I very rarely sort of inflict myself into people, like in into their birth. Like, yeah, no, I'm coming. And they're like, no, we're actually okay. No, yeah. no, no, I'm going to come. Yeah, no, like, I don't do that. I don't do that. Maybe I used to, but I, I may have <laughs> in the past. But definitely not anymore. Mm-hmm. I want you to use me the way you want. To. You hone your skills as a doula, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Over the years mm-hmm. to sort of feel people out. And you kind of know when to let them go ahead, do this on their own, and you step back a little bit. And then you know when to like come forward to say, okay, here and I am. And isn't that part of the empowerment side of things? That yes. You're, you're that safety net if they need it. Yes. But no, you got this. Yes. You can do this. And that's where that sort of, yeah, we can do this, mm-hmm. you know, thing comes. That whole work your way out of a job thing. Yeah. Which a lot of doulas forget. Yeah. Or yeah. don't want to do. Or don't want to do. Because they, they want to be indispensable. Yes. And yes. when I started as this, that's what I wanted to. I, I wanted mean, to be the saver of things. Yes. Right? And as an Enneagram 2 type person, if anybody's <laughs> ever taken the personality. This is literally the, the third episode you've mentioned. Really? That. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm um, Enneagram type 2 helper. So that's what we do, especially the ones, people who are not well-adjusted. You want to be indispensable, and that is all. You constantly want to help people so that they... Love you. That's that's how you get your love is by doing stuff for people. Doesn't that feel a little Munchausen though? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> when you're when you're well adjusted, there are well adjusted. There is a line. There's always a line, like with uh, zodiac signs and all yes. that. There's a dark side, and then there's an appropriate side. But yes, and then doula work, which it makes total sense. I bet if we did a quiz, more than half of doulas would be. Type twos. Oh, for sure. Yes. Let's Absolutely. post a link to the quiz. Let's do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do it, and and we'll see. Just like um, I remember, I went to this giant La Leche League gathering, La Leche League leader gathering, years and years ago, and they were talking about birth order because that's another thing too that influences who you are and how you make choices and so on, and more than half of the La Leche League leaders were firstborn. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Firstborns, people who feel responsible, people who feel like they have to take care of other people, people who feel like they need to be the ones behind the scenes managing things, that's firstborn. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Especially if you're firstborn like me with a big gap between you and your siblings. It's less of an issue when you're first and second born like really close in age. Yeah. When you're far, like I was nine years older than my sister. Oh, I still am. <laughs> I was. I was Not nine anymore. <laughs> so that inspired in me like this maternal feeling for my little sister yeah you know because when I was like 13 she was just four yeah so that was a huge gap so I I grew up with this feeling this maternal feeling for my sister and um that's the firstborn birth order thing so Enneagram 2 birth order stuff yeah makes sense are you firstborn I'm firstborn how close are you with your how close in age are you two and a half years yeah 
Nice. So it would it would be the 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 obviousness of the difference between the two would be less with you guys than me and my sister. I think like, you're very is, you're very but you are to your to you, your you sister. My mom was a working mom, so mm. and we were latchkey kids. Yeah. So I was the parent while my mom was away. I was the parent and the sister, but huh. yeah, very much so. Very very much Interesting. so. I would be interested to see. Um, what the, depending on the decade you were born in. How that inf- because kids who grew up in the seventies, whatever birth order, we are different people. Yes. Like if you spent your childhood in the seventies, we're different people oh, from yeah. the people who spent their childhood in the nineties, let's say, or even well, in the fifties yeah. or sixties. Fifties or sixties. Yes. Your parent yeah. was home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Anyways, that's that's why you became a doula because of your enneagram type, your it love has language, nothing to do with your, anything else your, you thought it was. Your, so your what's it called? Your astrological sign and your, your birth, birth order. order. That's right. Just we so know, you know you. We know you. <laughs> don't pretend that we don't know you because we do. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So that same client who you just mentioned having precipitous labors twice in a row. Yeah, she also was so inspired by how amazing birth is in the birth body she went on to become a birth photographer yeah mm. yeah yeah and she's amazing at what she did she and i got a chance to attend more than one birth together oh mm-hmm. that's cool yeah it was very cool god does she listen to this i may have taken liberties with your story and that's okay <laughs> no no identifying uh, markers were given no no so i'm looking at this thing and it does say pre- precipitous labor um, is defined as giving birth after less than three hours of regular contractions so that's the, I felt like people maybe needed a, an actual definition. It isn't just one contraction and the baby falls out. Although no. that would be that considered would be precipitous. Yes. <laughs> but we'll give you a, a good three hours yeah. to labor. Um, okay, so there you go. So what is, are there any common markers in precipitous labors that you've attended or missed in your clients? Or been clients, through in your life. Or been through in your life, in your your experiences amongst your clients? I there w- say that again? So are there any common markers amongst all of your clients who have had precipitous labors? I do always ask if there is a history of fast labors in the family. So if her, if their mother um, had a fast birth the first time out, if there was fast births like from a sister or things like that, because... We know anecdotally, though there's no nothing to no studies to prove this. We do know anecdotally that there is sort of a history of that uh, familial history on the maternal side, where that is a potential. Now it's not a guarantee, but it does happen. Um, so I always know. I always want to know that between the clients themselves. That's what I'm trying to think. But in along those lines. Um... I wonder about that, and I actually avoid speaking about that because if there is a bad history of long, difficult, traumatic birth, there, yeah, they take that on too. <clears throat> they take that on too. But I also say that that's not necessarily a commonality. We, mm-hmm. so I mentioned it in class too. Like you, if you can find out, so I say, if you can find out what your birth mother's first birth was like, um, you might want to. To find that out. So she starts the story. Oh my God. Crampiness sneezed. There you were. You probably need to be a little more aware of what your contractions <laughs> are doing. Mm-hmm. However, if she starts the story. Oh my God. It's three days. Just have her stop talking. Because <laughs> nobody needs that kind of negativity in their life. And plus we don't see a correlation between long hard labors familially. Mm-hmm. But we do 
with fast labors, or I do at least with fast labors. What I have to say to people is, um, we don't know, there's no, we haven't discovered yet, no. a birth gene right. that determines, oh, here's this gene that you possess and that means you're going to have a two-hour labor, and or this gene that you possess that means you're going to have a 27-hour <clears throat> labor. There's no birth gene. But the way that families amongst themselves behave, the attitudes they have about birth, the experiences that they share and how they speak about birth and the things that they highlight versus the things that they downplay, that will absolutely have an influence on you. For instance, the, the uteri in the women in my family, <laughs> I feel are just regular uteri. Just like any other families, there's nothing special about, but we have probably an unusually high number of unmedicated precipitous births. Is that because there's something special about us? I don't think so. I think that one person has a home birth and it turns out really well. Because we all we also know that staying out of the hospital increases the likelihood of having an unmedicated, kind of uneventful birth. So couple of us did that and then a couple of us copied that and we're there to support each other in those choices so it feels as if this is how we do it not because our bodies are made differently it's just the way that we move through the birth experience amongst each other so in that case yes family history i feel does play a role but it's not genetic because if it is genetic who says that you inherited your mom's birth genes mm, what's true don't you have your your paternal grandmother's nose or your great great grandmother's red hair or whatever so if it's genetic it might not be linked to your mom it could be linked to something else so i, I always say it look at your family and how does your family deal with birth i actually talk about that in my birth planning meetings with mm -hmm. my birth clients if there is a history of precipitous birth, talk about that. What was that like for them? How did they handle it? How did they feel? And incorporate that into your sort of your your way of thinking, your ideology about birth. Yeah. So. Do you see there's any commonality? I do. Oh, yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. What is it? In my notes. Because yeah. um, I always kind of like she write a, a breakdown so afterwards. She had the answer. I yeah. have the answer. Well, and it's not an answer. It's just an interesting thing to look at. Mm -hmm. You know, in through history, we've seen when we look at you know fertility goddess pictures and models I and things you were like that. At me when you said that. I'm at like, you, oh, Sue. Me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, <laughs> we see women often with large bosoms and large hips and things like that as these kind of this mm -hmm. look of fertility. Yeah. Um, very bodacious, I guess. But my clients who and you are fertile, but my clients who birth quickly have a tendency to have one thing in common. Physically? Physically. Mm -hmm. They have a tendency to actually have less hips, less bosom, and a straighter torso. I don't know why. I have not been able to put together any sort of thing here, but almost all of my clients are relatively petite or like tall and slim. Almost as if I, I look at my grandmother and I think 10 year old boy, like petite, straight, not a lot of bosom, not a lot of booty, mm -hmm. not a lot of hip. It's almost like as opposed to the hips being tilted out they're tilted up they have a much straighter line and it is which doesn't really tell us anything about that pelvic outlet no, no right but it has been very consistent mm. of the yeah i know well i don't have very big childbearing hips, hips. it doesn't matter Who the fuck you have cares? a uterus 
<laughs> but these the where we talk about literally from the beginning of active labor, so when you have a pattern to baby being born under three hours, my precipitous labors are almost always with these women who are often told, oh, well, you're not very, you, you're probably going to have a C-section because you're petite or you're tiny or your hips are so small, you won't get a baby through there. And, and they're the women who often are just like, out we come. They lose out. It's like... They lose out. Exactly. I just want to punch those people that say things like that. Mm-hmm. Fuck your comment. It immediately diminishes yeah. who they are. Yeah, and puts doubt and fear. Ah, absolutely. Which plants those weeds of doubt. And that it can be just as... Detrimental. A, mm-hmm. Yeah, detrimental the a factor message. and influencing a factor as the size and shape of your pelvic outlet. Mm-hmm. There is a massive, massive mind-body connection. If mm-hmm. you think yes. it, it yes. will be. Yeah. Look, I'm not one that believes all this, you know... You're Man- not, I wouldn't describe you as woo-woo. I wouldn't call you woo-woo at all. <laughs> but holy But shit, there is mind-body connection. There's massive mind-body connection yes. between the two. Because that's what I was going to say when I think about the precipitous births that I've observed, that I've been to as a doula. Um, mindset, I would say the mindset of those clients was very matter-of-fact. Mm-hmm. Yes, Yes. Not in a, uh, an, a, any sort of excessive focusing on all the details. Just sort of, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Yeah. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay. I don't, I don't need to write a birth plan because I'm just, I'm, we'll just take it as it comes. You know, I've got you. I've got you. They always say that I've got my partner. I've got you. This is my team. I've created a circle of I'm, support for myself. Yep. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. I had a client once. She had, um, she was from Hong Kong. And she spoke English, and her partner did not. Um, and we got to the hospital. She was maybe she was just starting sort of active labor, so she was about five centimeters dilated. And we walked, and we walked, and we walked for probably a couple of hours, um, maybe four, three or four hours. And in the meantime, her partner just sat in the room reading the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, well, we want to check you. And as we were walking, every now and then she would stop and then walk. Mm-hmm. She'd take a big breath, and then we'd start walking again. And then about, they said, well, we want to check you because you're clearly not in labor, so we're going to start some Pitocin, blah, blah, blah. They check her. She's nine centimeters dilated. Mm-hmm. But she also had that same mindset. Baby was in, baby was going to come out, and there was no preconceived notions about how that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes, too, do you ever find that it's from people that may have not been inundated with the yes. television, Hollywood yes. version of birth? And and 2,800 hours of Google searches. Oh, God sake. For yes. every single um, ping and twinge and cramp that you feel. So that someone has somehow just, normalized uh, it. Yeah, it's just her. a, huh? Like literally a, huh? I guess so. That's what happens when you're pregnant. Hmm. Yep. Shrug your shoulders and move on. But and then also manage to avoid care providers um, or well-intentioned people who almost inundate you. Them, whether you've gone looking for it or not, there's also the same people who don't have kind of a mind of it being one way or the other who sometimes people will latch on to them and try and instill. Yes. Well, the normal way really to do it is to do this, this, and this. Yes. And they're also very, if they can avoid that, they come to birth just willing yeah. to let it be what it's going to be. 
Yeah. But that's that's the whole the, really the whole same bias behind um, that book, Childbirth Without Fear, mm-hmm. is that you know when Doctor Reed, Doctor Grantley Dick Reed, um, attended these births in Europe that were basically baby came in and baby came out and that was just the end of it all and and people weren't the the birthing people were not going you know screaming and bemoaning and swooning and all of this stuff like they were in you know in uh in north america and having to basically be put under general anesthetic and having their babies delivered via forceps because Uh, for them yeah it's like because they themselves would have seen normal birth or you know very physiological birth i hate that term normal um physiological birth of their mothers, sisters, neighbors, you know, all of that stuff before they even had a baby of their own. Mm-hmm. And because birth was still done at home at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was just normal. Yep. We have this fear that has been generated from when birth moved from home to hospital and birth became a bit of a death sentence at that point because of hygiene. When in reality, you know, Times have remarkably changed, mm-hmm. but that fear keeps coming and it keeps going down the line. We've we've sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, so to speak. But no I'm, pun I'm, intended. Yeah, because we haven't, um, as we moved through time, we haven't discovered the ability to um, keep what worked for us while improving or tweaking or eliminating the things that didn't work for us as humans, we've, what, we, what we keep on doing is throwing everything out and trying to start all over and redesigning. Redesigning something that's been going on. Yeah, redesigning that since, doesn't need to be redesigned. Beginning. So what we, what we need to do, which and I'm saying, again, I'm intellectualizing it, to say what we need to do is to keep the attitudes of the past insert the and understand and know that the technology and the equipment and the expertise to fix amend or change things if they do happen to go sideways is there but not obsess about all of the things that in the past would have just been considered par for the course Mm -hmm. yeah right not try to manage it so much that's that's exactly what i'm saying not try to manage the process so much and again, I will go back to my good friend, Jay McGillivray, said it. Don't try to intellectualize a primal process. We first need to recognize that this is a primal process. And for the vast majority of people, the vast majority of pregnancies and births, things are just going to go ordinary. Yeah. You're going to go the way that they're meant to go. And you're going to end up in this sort of straightforward physiologic process. And that's it for the majority of us. If we just like... Kind of like ignore it a little bit. I had a client this year, and I know mid- midwifery does this, but I had a client this year, one of the best ones I attended this year, um, where she didn't want to know her dilation. Yeah. She just want now with obstetrical care that's very unusual, but yeah. with midwifery care, it, not so unusual. It, yeah. Not so unusual. Now she had taken my class, and I do mention this in class. Mm-hmm. Um, and her and her her me and her partner could know, mm-hmm. so that helped us sort of help her. But she didn't want to know the number, and she just labored. Yeah, she labored. She birthed her baby unmedicated, literally on all fours, and that was the end of it because that's what she needed to do, and she just needed to not have 
this information. Mm-hmm. And I say in classes, you know, look, this is probably the one time when too much information is not power. Yeah. It's actually can for many of yes. be debilitating. Yes. Yeah, I can relate to that because at the last two weeks of my last pregnancy, post 40 weeks, and I knew my baby was still breech, and I knew all these other things. I'm like, I don't care what how big my belly is right now. I don't care. There's all these things I need to just stop with, and this kid will come when it comes. And, of course, my midwives were saying, okay, are you going to call us for the birth? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I'm going to call you for the birth. And they're like, okay, so just just call us for the birth and she says she's inkling around she's like are you planning an unassisted birth because just let me know can you just yeah Yeah. i can see it in your eyes (laughs) yeah but uh yeah so i mean i called them they only had to be there for a couple hours because i just didn't want more people in my space Mm -hmm. i didn't want more information yeah right Mm -hmm. and they're very respectful of that so um we did end up calling them towards the end and um but yeah i needed less information yeah. I didn't. I needed. Didn't need stuff from the outside. I needed to just be okay with whatever was going to come, mm-hmm. whether maybe flipped or didn't flip or whatever. So, I ended my follow-ups and my in, my sh- midwifery appointments because I needed less, less information. information. <laughs> but that's so. I was talking. I was talking in class last night, saying, you know, well, they'll do these when we were talking about cesarean births and babies being too big. And I said, you know, they'll do these late-stage ultrasounds, but you have to understand that for sizing and whatnot it's dumb and it's completely useless and it doesn't need to happen and one person said you know well then why do they do them i'm like i have no answer for you on that i don't know why they do them yeah they're looking at baby but why do they do the sizing thing when all it does is freak Freak you out out. i had one client freak out when because her baby was in the 60th percentile Holy shit, 60th percentile, man. That's I could spit that out like a watermelon average. seed. Don't yeah. freak out about 60. It's but just a sep- obsessive need for control and management. Exactly. Is what it is. So you got to know every single little. It's like people who uh, who are who who think that they want to breastfeed, who are considering breastfeed, breastfeeding, but are obsessed with the notion that well, you can't see how much the baby's getting. You have to have I get faith. that. It's I get a, that. That is uh, almost every single class that I talk about yes. breastfeeding. That is the question. Well, how do you know how much the baby's getting? Because you can't see the numbers. You can't put in three ounces and then measure that the baby's had two. So how do you know that the ba- they're obsessed with that? And that is how we've been. Like we're, we've we're been obsessed with. Trust Same numbers. with due dates. We're obsessed with due dates. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's yeah. why I always have when the corn ripens in the field yeah. as an answer to when will my baby be born. Just tell the people, apple on the tree. Just tell the people, you know, when all the snow is gone from the land, then the baby will be born sometime around when then. When the geese fly home. Yeah, something like that. But no, you've got this due date and you are fixated on this due date. Yeah. You get these numbers, baby's in the 57th percentile. <gasps> oh that my means gosh. the baby's bigger than average. Really? No, 57%? Like... It's a median. It's not an average. Yes. So it's like there are lines. Okay is on this line. Not okay is on that line. And people freak out because they need to know where they are in terms of that space. And that is, I think that's a part of the problem. Yeah. And that's why precipitous labor is looked at as the wrong side of the line. Like it's something to panic about. Yes. And that goes for doulas and parents. Mm -hmm. Yes. Doulas, do not panic if you find yourself at a precipitous labor. Yeah. If, if there's one person in the house who mm-hmm. needs to be not panicking mm-hmm. and setting the tone, yeah. it needs to be you. You. I had a client once. 
and this is this is where you don't panic. We got to that she was hypnobirthing, mm-hmm. so we got to that. So she's not with hypnobirthing, like she's not, you know, displaying these sort of you know outer this is what's happening kind of thing. So you kind of got to go on faith. So I got to their house and I only came because it was like 11 o'clock at night and I thought, ah, I don't want to go to bed. So why don't I just come and we'll labor a little at home. So when I got there, she had been in the bath. She'd been in the shower. She came out of the shower with her robe on. She went and got on the bed and it was this beautiful, thick, white, eyelet comforter that just looked like a hug right mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's got her robe all around Perfect her and she's bloody birth on she's, nice she's on all fours and she's like just kind of swaying and mm-hmm. doing her thing and and then she sat up and her robe fell open and she's sitting in a pool of blood <sighs> now I turned her husband who'd been packing because she had indicated that it was probably time to go. So he was packing, he was running around grabbing stuff and he comes in and he looks and he like, you can see the panic start to build on his face. And I go, so I think it's probably a good time. We're going to head out now. So I'm going to help her get dressed. Mm -hmm. Why don't you go get the car? And in my head, I'm losing my fucking mind. Yep. Yep. And this is what we're going to do, and this is how it's going to happen, and I'm using my doula voice, so you're that, calm. That is the, like a good doula skill that people yep. need to learn. So you go get the car. I'm going to help get her dressed. Can you point me to the underwear drawer? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, great. You go down and put the stuff in the car, and we'll Sweetie, be down in a few minutes. Sweetie, we kind of need to move a little quickly here. Yep. Okay. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. client, let's go and get this done, and da-da-da-da. And we got there. Sure enough, she was like 10 centimeters yeah. dilated. Mm-hmm. And... This was the one time, so you you know that long hallway at St. Mike's, right? You follow the blue line mm-hmm. up to the elevators. So she was walking along. She certainly wasn't in transition when we left. But as we were walking up that hallway, you could see she went into transition. Like I've never seen, some people describe it's like a step up. Like you can just see. Flip of a switch. Yeah. And that's what happened. Well. I book it down the hallway and I'm pushing the button because 15 fucking floor. <laughs> and we get in and we go to, we didn't even fucking go to triage. We're just mm-hmm. like, okay, so we're here and like, we're literally going to push this baby out. So mm-hmm. you need to get us a room. Mm-hmm. So they put us into a room. And for some reason, they weren't really taking us seriously that this shit was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's sitting a birthing and just exactly, chill. Exactly. So this, 12 year old boy walks in <laughs> this med student and, he, and he's Who gonna claims that he has a medical degree <laughs> like are you sure and he's got his he's got his clipboard and his pen and he's you know name blah 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 and she's like sitting there squatting beside the bed going Ugh. i'm like and she's not answering him at all i don't know where dad was at this point but she's not answering him and he's asking another question she's not answering and i look at him and i'm like really (laughs) and he just i think at that point she goes ah like it's it's happening and he leaves yeah he just picks up his i don't i don't like that noise goes (laughs) goodbye i am definitely signing up to become a podiatrist (laughs) (laughs) i'd rather deal with corns (laughs) (laughs) you got that bunion Toenails, I'm there. Um, Swear to God, I'd rather deal with bunions. bloody birth than deal with corns. That is so gross. Ew, feet are so gross. 
But what pissed me off with that birth is that she wanted to squat. She desperately wanted to squat. Well, when she know, old old Granny Troll Leatherface walks in, <laughs> and she's not having any of this squatting crap. Mm-hmm. Well, that it took her a long time to push out this five pound baby. Oh my God. As a result, oh. piss me off. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, is it precipitous? It's not. Well, this is precipitous labor mm-hmm. is considered a labor that's just three hours or under but what about those people my second birth was like this and i've had clients like this where they they have like a a sort of average not necessarily short labor let's say six hours eight hours nine hours or whatever but pushing like a luge yeah, yeah. pop yeah. spit out like a watermelon yeah scene. so that's what happened to me with my second uh, baby and i've seen Several people over the last few years have that happen. Baby just comes right down. Pushing that third stage is like full of Flipping ease. a switch. Baby's low. <laughs> baby Or baby's not even necessarily low, but just moves down yeah. really smoothly and just comes out really smoothly. I think it comes when you look at... Um, when you have somebody who's upright, walking, moving, who is potentially unmedicated, and they're just, you know, moving the way their body is telling them to, that puts baby into such a beautiful position that pushing can be out. Well, I what I was going to say is that I know I've noticed the commonality between those people. So I've seen it since last year, in 2018, 2019, four times. Four wow. births. And what are the commonality? pelvic floor therapy ah yes not pulling up against the sensation they've all had prenatal pelvic floor therapy i don't know how much yeah or specifically what that entailed but their pushing was very like they it's almost as if they blocked everybody out they were um basically doing that guided pushing thing take a deep breath hold your breath push for 10 seconds and so on they were doing that but there was something sort of independent about the way that they pushed, and those babies just moved down and came yeah. and came out. So these are not necessarily all unmedicated births. I know I can think of at least two that happened with epidural, um, but that pushing stage just happened like a perfectly orchestrated short film. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with sound effect. Yes. So so after the last one, I'm like, damn, this is a thing. Yeah. This is a thing. No, it isn't for everybody, but it isn't, doesn't happen that way for everybody. But. No, I'm sure it doesn't. L- like, nothing happens right. that way for everybody. But it certainly is something that I've started speaking to my clients about. If you're interested at all, yeah. considering pelvic floor therapy, it has happened to have helped many people. So if you want to, like... Give it a look. Give it a try if you're interested at all, because and it that's is what I've covered. Seen. Like if you have, is it? you know, insurance. Well, it goes oh, under the same private insurance. Yeah, yeah. private insurance, yeah. and it goes under where other physio would go. Yes, which so yeah. you may not. They may not pay for all of it, but they could potentially pay for some of it. I also know that people who are heavily into prenatal yoga, that that's a big. Uh, I've noticed that too. I love prenatal yoga. Yeah. I had a client who was a, she was not into prenatal yoga, but she was a ballerina, like a professional ballerina. Mm -hmm. And so her ballerina training Mm -hmm. plus her mindset, 
her sort of shrug your shoulders. I'm sure everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. Listen politely to everything I had to say and said, oh yeah, I mean, I know everything that's available. I'm, yep, I'm sure everything. That plus that, yeah. that was one of those births <clears throat> that was just like, it was fast and smooth. Yes. Especially that pushing stage. So that physical preparation beforehand coupled with the mindset, if you want to throw in some pelvic floor therapy in there, um, I'm not saying it's magic. No, but I'm saying it's it's it's. But it's, I'm saying it's magic. I'm saying it's kind of sort of magic. <laughs> but you know what? A few years ago, when the Epino came out, I was like, it's maybe ten years ago, and it came out in Canada. I was like, what? You you bitches! Are I know. Crazy, I was like, you know, you know me. I'm like, fucking stay out of your vagina. And then about the third year it was here, I had a year of clients who quite a few of them used it, and almost all of them had minimal. Yeah. Tearing, yes, had or no tearing or minimal tearing. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, and the best way that each one of them kind of described it when we spoke was that they did not, when they felt the sensation of baby coming down, they did not pull up against it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yes. so much about how they pushed or didn't push. It was that there they didn't have tension around the sensation of fullness. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. Um, that they would have had when they first started using it, and they felt that. It was scary or yeah. not a good yeah. feeling, mm-hmm. but as soon as they felt the fullness, they let go into it, and that was the biggest part. And it's of it. really hard to do that. It, it is, is really it's hard. To we do don't that. walk around with fullness in anything without either trying to push, push it, it out or, or pull suck up it back it. in. That's right. <laughs> when so I had when I had Will, one of the problems that I had was that I felt that, and yeah. before I was even fully dilated, and as a result, I was sort pulling of up. pulling up, and it ended up swelling my cervix as a result, and I had to. Basically, I wasn't planning to get an epidural for that birth, but ended up having to get one because everything just stalled at that point. And I needed to take myself out of the equation. The letdown. Yeah. Because yeah. yes. he, was, was, he was a lot of fullness. It was a lot of head. <laughs> it was a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. for, so doulas now going back into, they find themselves at home with a precipitous labor. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You're like, well, you you're, you're recognizing. <laughs> We're not making it to the hospital. If you recognize that you're not making it to the hospital, I'm saying very calmly, can you just call 911? Can you just get some help? Okay, because I think the baby's going to come before we get to the hospital. Yay, call 911. (laughs) To the partner. (laughs) To the partner. Yeah. Okay, sweetie. I will say what my midwife said to me. Let's just get you up on the bed. Get your knickers off. Yeah. <laughs> get your knickers off. Get your knickers off. She would say. And now, would you have the partner call or would you call? Partner. I've always told the partner. Well, I've never had it happen. I've never had it happen either. With me being there, at, not at the hospital. Oh, okay. I've never had it happen at a home birth with just me there. No, I've never had that. Happen. No. So I would say to the partner, "Can you just go call nine one one?" Just because I didn't want to leave. I wouldn't want to leave. No. Her. My only, I always wonder sort of where, where's the line though, you know, where we're not facilitating the delivery of this baby. Yes. But we have to have 911 on the line. But what role do you play? I've always been told that the partner is the one that is actually helping at that mm-hmm. point. And she's helping with, by calling 911. Yeah. You just throw the phone on the bed and yeah, he's the do what one. they got to do. He's the one between the legs as opposed to you being between the legs. That's that's oh, yes. what I've, I've never been, been between taught. the legs. I've never been between the legs. It's the parent the, the, the parent, partner partner calls it calls the nine one one or 
what's generally happened is these have been, I think all except one was a, was a midwifery birth. So it was kind of precipitous. And so of the mindset, everything's just happening the way it needs to. And, uh, calling the midwife and midwife going, often I'll say in the background, I'm like, no definite grunting here Yeah. where the partner might not be recognizing these things. And I've just said, it appears baby's going to come faster. And so have the partner call the midwife. And then the midwife usually hang, says, okay, you're going to hang up and call 911 because they they might be faster to get to you than we will. Right. And then they call 911. And, but I've never done a catch or anything like that. Not interested. No. I don't so what want do you, to catch. What do you actually do then? You've, the partner calls 911. Baby's crowning. Mm-hmm. Then I'm, what? I'm at the same place where I would be normally in a birth. I'm at the head, you know, trying to keep everybody. I'm at her head well, trying I to guess keep everybody this, calm. The, the, when you think about it, a birthing person doesn't need anybody's heads no, down exactly. there. Right. Really. Um, I mean, we could go, well, what if this? And what if that? And then what if this happens? And what if that happens? What if the shoulders are stuck and nobody's there? What do you do? What if something, you know, that's outside of those situations. Yeah. Let's say if it's a straightforward vaginal But most birth. precipitous births are. That's And if thing. it's precipitous, then it's just going to happen. Yeah, so right. nobody, you don't... Nobody needs anybody's hands down there. No, no. So maybe what would be helpful is to say to the mother, you can reach down. Yeah. And that's exactly You it. can reach down and you can feel the touch of the baby's head. Yeah. And if you need to catch your own baby, you can't. Or baby's just going to come out anyways. Trust me, I yeah. know that. Let's just nobody's, make sure you're lying down. Just, nobody's point. there. That's how Chris came into the yeah. world. I was all covered up under the blankets and he just came out. Nobody was there holding, touching, supporting, moving, yeah, no. guiding, but that's, nothing. That's just it. Because as I say, if it's precipitous, just because it's fast doesn't mean it's bad. It, In fact, it's almost better because we're not doing anything to you. This birth is just happening, happening. the way it's supposed to happen. Yes, yes, yeah. Doesn't yeah so you don't to have anything. to, as a doula, catch. You don't have to no. change your role. No. 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 You, literally, you're just kind of continuing it all the way to the end without yeah. additional feedback. Keeping, gonna... keeping everything calm yeah. mm-hmm. and relaxed. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, look at how awesome you are. Look what you did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm getting yeah. the shivers thinking I, about it. <laughs> I never want to be in that position, ever. I had probably the most fun, funny kind of precipitous labor where I had specifically been called to the house because they wanted to labor longer at home. And... Mm-hmm spend less time at the hospital Mm -hmm. and um, because she had seen her sister's birth at the hospital and it had been just Mm -hmm. adverse right Um, but she and so she was well laboring when I spoke to them on the phone and she was four minutes apart lasting a full minute the dad gave me this feedback at the time and um, I'm like okay so where is she now she's getting in the tub okay awesome and um, I was just pulling into the driveway when the partner called me back he's like are you close (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm in the driveway. He's like, can you come in, like, right now? I'm like, okay, I can't get her off the stairs. Okay. I'm like, what happened between the tub? How'd you get halfway down the stairs? So I walked in, and it's one of these old Victorian homes where you walk in, and you're going up the stairs as you walk in the door. You walk in the front right. door. There's mm-hmm. two steps up, and there's three steps forward. Then there's a long staircase yes. that goes up. Yeah. yeah. She literally is halfway down the stairs, Legs spread wide. Oh, sitting shit. with her sit bones on the stair. On the stairs. With a nice bulging head of baby oh, right behind me. it. And he's at the bottom of the stairs opening the door for me. No, and no. I'm like, I'm like get, get back, back, up back up those <laughs> stairs. Mm-hmm. And I just call me, have you called 911 yet? No, we were heading to the hospital and this happened. Well, I'm, I'm like, going so you to called call me instead of 911. 
all right. Um, but uh, anyhow. Guess what? He's not a paramedic. <laughs> no, and she was so desperately holding on to the rail coming down, she was not letting go to catch her baby. So the, the other parent did Yes, the because baby. that baby would go tumbling down the stairs. Yeah. Oh, and my when God. Rip that placenta oh, out as it goes. Oh, yeah, I can't imagine. Oh. When, Holy so shit. he had called, as he turned around, grabbed his phone, called 911, threw it on the stairs beside him, and got 911, what is your emergency? He's like, the baby's halfway out. That's, that's how we started that conversation. <laughs> that's my emergency. <laughs> Pardon me, sir. Can you tell me what's happening there? And then the baby gave a big old wail and everyone starts crying and happy and stuff like that. He's like, it's okay. I'm like, no, no, it's not okay. No, You're going to still tell them what's going on yeah. here. Mm-hmm. We're, nobody's hanging up now. Mm-hmm. But they've almost, again, all the, th- those births that I've been to that have been precipitous where I've kind of arrived and that's almost all the same thing. I'm arriving as this part's happening, like the end part is happening and they've mm-hmm. been trying to determine whether or not to leave. And, uh, yeah, it's just been like I'm just arriving as they're planning to go anyway, and ended up with 911 on the line. But it's they're almost always hypnobirthing, yeah, or almost always um, petite. Yes, just mm. like straighter hips. I don't mean like not chubby yeah, yeah, or yeah. anything like that. Yes. I just mean like narrower yes. hips. Yes. yes, you know. Um, actually, my cousin too. She's actually quite big boobed and and she's got a broader chest but she's got smaller hips yeah Yeah. and she thought she had stomach flu and she called me she's like can you come watch the dogs i i've got really bad stomach flu 39 weeks pregnant and i cannot keep any shit in my body like Mm -hmm. everything's coming out including this baby yeah i'm coming over (laughs) and her husband called me not 20 minutes after they left and he's like we just had a baby in the er yeah so she just thought she had diarrhea Mm -hmm. like she that's what she thought she had was like uh, she picked up a bug yeah but she had a baby Uh, and she knew she was pregnant and everything just she thought she was it wasn't one of those tlz programs no she thought she was gonna go get some iv fluids because she couldn't she's like i don't want to be dehydrated and pregnant and but no she was just having a baby so i always give um an analogy either to my class when they ask about this sort of stuff or to my clients when they ask about this stuff and because i've been through it um more than once i kind of know what it feels like because everybody wants one of these super fast Mm. crazy births people are like yes we don't want these these long long labors and i say okay let's put this into perspective imagine for those of you who don't know toronto the city that we live in we are home to the tallest freestanding structure in the world. I think we still, I don't know if it still is. No, Maybe not. there's something else. We're not in Dubai now. It's taller now. Anyway, it's really, really <laughs> tall. So imagine you're at the top of the CN Tower and it's on fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a great way to start. So, so it's the fire, the, the fact that it's on fire represents the fact that you're in labor. You got two choices. The CN Tower is on fire and you can go down the stairs it's dark because all the lights are out because it's on fire. Everybody's trying to get out. It's smoky. And you, in labor, with your giant belly, can make your way down the stairs from the top of the CN Tower one step at a time throughout your contractions all the way down. That's your choice. Or there's a window with a slide from the top of the CN Tower down to the ground. Oh, by the way, you're naked. <laughs> <laughs> it's December. And you, can, December. you can take your giant pregnant naked self climb out the window onto the slide and whoosh down right to into the bottom the of the street <laughs> yeah and once you get to the ground level that means you've had your baby so which one are you gonna do neither one of them are neither fun. one of them 
They exactly, both they both suck. Holy so, shit! People yeah, slide think burn. that people think that the the fast slide down from the top of the CN Tower, especially if you've got a little fear of heights like I do, um, that that is the scariest shit. Can you imagine? At least if you're take, making your way down, you know you're putting one foot in front of the other, in front of the other as you move down. Yeah. And um, when babies and are born that quick, closer. you are in so much more shock than if you've had this long drawn out birth and like you're waiting for to participate the, in to, yeah that you can you just, build up to you can build up to but when jesus christ the baby's coming now i just had the first contraction 40 minutes ago and now the baby's crowning your brain is so fucked up yeah and when the baby's and come just partner like say flying the man's blaming no the baby's no, no, not no, coming not yet no it's too soon it's too it's too fast and the baby comes out um the, those babies also are jittery and cold, and they've got low blood. Yeah, because they're going, what the fuck just yes. happened? And Someone you, threw me down a slide. All my babies <laughs> had to lie on heating pads afterwards because their, their body temperatures were cold, and Pull all those precautions light. have to be taken. And you're just like, what the fuck? You're more likely to tear when that happens because... If there's, there's no build-up If there's a nine-pound baby busting through your vagina in, like, <laughs> rocket fuel, then then you're more likely to tear it. So it's not fantastic. It's not fun. No. It's not. Yeah. So there. Just, that's what I, that's the analogy I used to so explain to So as a doula, telling parents, other doulas you know. who are doing it, know that that's probably how your client is feeling. Yeah. Completely overwhelmed by this process that seems to be happening to them yeah. instead of with them. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. don't stop shaking for several days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a... I had a client whose first birth was precipitous, and then I couldn't help them with their next one, but they desperately wanted, they actually wanted, uh, I gave them to you, Mm -hmm. wanted to have doula support because it was so overwhelming the first time around Mm -hmm. that they really didn't want to go through it again, and they really did need the support. And I said, you know, one of the questions I ask in the prenatal is like, you know, if things could have been different, what would you have, what would you have chosen? Um, And they were like, i Having a fast birth was the worst thing ever. Mm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not ideal. A lot of people think it's ideal, but yeah. it is. It's not ideal. I no. think it's even harder if you're having a precipitous labor and planning a, a hospital birth because then the idea of moving yes, yes. is so much more intense. Yes, and, and making the decision yes when to actually leave your house and go to the hospital, mm-hmm. and then the journey there, even yeah. if it's ten minutes. It feels like an eternity. Absolutely. Yeah. At least if you're at home and you know this is your place, the baby's going to be born here. Either yeah. in five minutes from now or in five hours from now, whatever. Yeah. You, you that, mo- that transitioning from home to hospital, that change in environment is huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Huge. Well, it's even for huge. someone with a longer labor, same thing. The decision to go is just one more decision to make. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think that's why some parents one. choose to go earlier because they're like... <sighs> I'm I just want to go there tired. and stay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Just go, stay, stay. wait. Yes. And that's um, why inductions suck because then you're going home and you're coming back and you're going home and you're coming back and you're going home and you're coming back. Yeah. yeah. It's like, fuck, can we just stay? Because yeah. I don't want to go back home. Especially yeah. November, December, yes. January, February. Like, once you When you get sucks. home, it's like you need to get into your home mentality. Mm-hmm. And you kind of can't if you know, oh, we got to go back to the hospital mm-hmm. at 3 o'clock or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So... People find it more comforting if they can be in one place and put their men- put that on. Yeah. Okay, I'm here at the hospital. This is where the baby's going to be born. We can settle into it. But yeah. you can't settle. You in can't, like, get comfortable if you know that you're going to be sent yes. home and then you got to come back and, and all that. So, yeah. yeah. 
Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, so we were talking about sort of mindset. Um, we didn't read this before. Um, when we asked for spooky stories, we got this story from Sarah Bryan. Um, but it g- plays into the idea of mindset, right? So she goes, she says, hi, fellow doulas. I don't really think it's a spooky story because this is when we asked for spooky stories and got none. Mm-hmm. Um, except, Thank you. Except mm-hmm. this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but a client recently had a strange start to her labor. Mm-hmm. I find funny. First time mom, due date comes and goes as usual. She's in great spirits and is trusting her body and baby to come when they're ready. Meanwhile, her husband had been renovating their master bedroom by himself because he didn't have enough to do and wanted to be perfect. He wanted it to be perfect for her sigh uh late one night he calls her into the bathroom to watch as he places the last few tiles and as she's standing with one foot upon the edge of the new tub he says last tile and we're done and he places the tile and her water breaks (laughs) not an oops i just peed myself trickle but a full-blown explosion now i have to tell you that the one thing that she had stressed about throughout the labor was that the bathroom was not getting finished she calls me in the bathroom and tells me what happened and we are both just start cracking up ugly cry laughing once we calm down she says i guess we really was stressed about the bathroom and i think i'm having contractions she was contractions were hard fast almost immediately and baby was born the following morning we still laugh about that last damn tile the human body is cool. Hope you enjoyed. With love, Sarah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that mindset where, you know, she was waiting for that bathroom to be finished. Uh-huh. And when the last tile went in, her body went, okay, we can do this now. I had a client who they she wanted to get the car seat in. That was the big stressor. The car seat had to go in. Mm -hmm. And as she was driving back from the dealership who had put the car seat in, her water broke as she was driving. (laughs) Ta-da! There you go. So that whole mindset of, you know, labor's going to start when this happens. There you go. Or this happens. Um, I'm just looking through here to see if any celebrity birth stories were interesting. And there's there's a website that has crazy celebrity birth stories but they're not actually birth stories they're just sort of quirky things like amy polar yes her doctor died oh good the day before her due date oh my god she called to like schedule an appointment or something like that and they told her sorry your doctor died but that but that's not that sorry sorry (laughs) bad timing bad timing and um um, you th- or one of the Duggar daughters, you know, mm-hmm. the Duggars, yeah, and their mom had like 21 babies. Speaking of like um, ridiculous, yeah, and she had a 70 hour labor. This is what it says. I don't know if 70 hours, like, how do they how did they calculate that? I don't know from her very first cramp, which was probably yeah. still like pre labor, a week, a week before, and then ended up having a c section, which. So that's wow. what's so remarkable about about that because she's a dugger. Yeah, that's the only thing. And that must. I wonder how that must have played. Mm-hmm. Like, because her mother just spit babies out like you wouldn't believe. Um, and then there's the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton. Mm-hmm. Middleton. She carried herself so well during her pregnancies. One may not have even noticed that she suffered terribly from hypermesis gravidarum. Yes, I heard that. Her rec- the recent birth of her daughter, Princess Charlotte, was certainly a quick one. It is said that the royal couple arrived at the hospital around 5 a.m. and the baby was born a mere two and a half hours later, yeah. most likely without an epidural. Go, Kate, go. Yeah, that she 
that woman, and she's built like that too. Mm-hmm. Very yes. straight. Yes. And I got to say, you guys know me in my current form, <laughs> <laughs> which is voluptuosity. <laughs> but when I'm at my healthy, normal weight, I'm not like this at all. I When you said that, I was like, huh, interesting. Well, yeah, because I've seen I really old pictures am, of you. Yeah, I'm not, I don't have big boobs. I don't have like shapely hips. hips. I'm very sort of straight, plain and straight looking. Yeah, when I'm, when I weigh 130 pounds. So that, that's what's underneath here. But regardless of the weight, you regardless know the frame. Of the weight, that is, you know your, your pelvis is your pelvis. It's, yeah. It does, doesn't matter. How many donuts you pat on top of it, it remains the same inside. It doesn't matter how protective you make it with all that padding. Yes, yeah. That's what I was trying to do. <laughs> You're just protecting your pelvis. Yeah, yeah. So, so are we so doing a birth story me. today? No, we don't have We any. don't have a birth story. Yes, we do. I have about what? 13 birth stories. Jesus Christ, from where? From a VBAC group that I belong to. And they'll let you... Uh, with permission. Okay. I have 13 yeah, stories I'm with permission. Yeah, because I'm not getting sued for any of this bullshit. Nope. All right. Well, if you we'll want to do it, you want to read pick one. one. Do you guys want to pee or anything first? I do want to pee. So okay. let's, let's pee. Let's do this, um, and we'll be back. Boom! Boom! Go! Welcome back. Hey. Birth story time. We have a birth story. We have a birth story. Oh my goodness. We have actually have quite a few for the next couple weeks, so okay. we're good. Well, that's Beauty. Good. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't send them. Please send them. Yeah. So these will I don't all know where be. where that accent came from. I'm sorry. V-back <laughs> stories. Yeah. Yeah. All of these. Ah. Will be. There yes. you go. So here we go. This mm-hmm. is from JL in my V-back group. Finally, here's my birth story. Trigger and content warning for gory birth details, cervical checks, and a couple concerning complications. But everything was fine, with a capital F. At 34 weeks exactly, cue non-stop contractions. Yay, prodromal. Ugh, hate those. They weren't painful, but were very uncomfortable. Five to ten minutes apart and wouldn't stop. Four hours. I was 34 weeks. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, yikes. Again, just want to point out, prodromal labor, super common in those who have had any sort of uterine surgery beforehand. That is Very, true. very common. Um, which, of course, can be exhausting, though. You can imagine I was a bit concerned. So off to L&D we went, or at least I went. I allowed a cervical check, and luckily not much going on there. But we monitored and went home. But not before insisting on the lung steroid shot because of last time. So she had an early baby last time. Mm. It was frustrating as half the staff was looking at me like, okay, yay, let's have this baby today. And the other half were more like, why are you here? Yeah. But as a preemie mom, I needed the shots and to make sure I wasn't in real labor. Logan's labor didn't hurt until seven centimeters. So after that, contractions never really stopped. If I was lucky, I got a one to two hour gap in the afternoon and two to three hours overnight. That's not a lot of time. No, it wasn't. Otherwise, every three to 20 minutes, all day, every day. Started July 26 at 33 plus 6. On August 17th at 37 weeks exactly, I went into labor. Suddenly at 2 a.m., they were 3 to 5 minutes apart, 1 to 2 minute long, and painful. Four hours. But within an hour of Legan waking up and me needing to be a mom, they slowed down and intensity decreased. From there on out, every 2 to 3 days, I would have a stint of 2 to 6 hours of this really painful, seemingly active labor. And in the in-between hours from those stints, I was still having just the uncomfortable tightenings. 
On Wednesday, October 29th, they started again at 4, which I fully ignored until 7 a.m. Only two things were slightly different from each other time, that, and that's that things started and stopped. First, I lost my mucus plug. There you go. There Second, you go. sitting on the toilet was suddenly super uncomfortable, like made my inner hip joint and upper thighs hurt uncomfortably. I told Eric, you were staying home from work. I let my midwife and doula know, but didn't really get too excited. I wanted to see how things happened when Legan woke up. But he didn't wake up. And he's always up between 6 and 8, usually around 7. I finally woke him that day at 10.30 a.m., and these contractions didn't go away. <clears throat> I watched Call the Midwife all day long, contractions <laughs> 3 to 7 minutes apart. After lunch, it was Legan's nap time, so I did our normal routine and nursed him. I wanted to make sure contractions didn't stop for my normal afternoon lull, and they did not. But that nursing session was awful. Contractions oh, were like 90 yeah. seconds long and started every two to three minutes now. But I felt like there was finally a point to all of this discomfort. The toilet was still awful. I couldn't imagine how so many people love to labor there. No thanks. Yeah, I've heard that where, mm -hmm. you know, you think it's so great because everything is so relaxed, but for some, the intensity is just too much. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. After dinner and another hellish nursing session, I called my doula. I knew I wanted her there sooner rather than later, as it was now two to four minutes apart of contractions and I was getting pretty done with hanging out on the couch. Plus, Eric wanted to shut up for every... I wanted Eric to shut up for every contraction. <laughs> Poor Eric. My mom elected not to go to a party that night. In hindsight, she totally could have gone, but she wanted to be there for me. I actually ended up kneeling on the floor with my face on the couch and Spock snuggling next to my face. I loved it. It was 11 p.m. when she arrived. She and Eric got my birth pool filled up, and I wasn't sure if I should get in yet. I didn't want to slow things down, but I knew I had been progressing pretty quick with Legan, so Siong, my doula, told me to go ahead and, if I really wanted to, just get in. Fun fact, we emptied the water heater to get it filled up, but we finally started enough hot water that it totally worked out fine. Getting in was awesome. I thought I'd want to be in a squat, but contractions really made that painful in my hip and upper thigh. So I was more just stretched out, floating in my pool. Super awesome portable birth pool. Get one. <laughs> Things really did start to pick up while I was in there, but slow and steady. Eric asked if he could take a short nap. Siong told me she'd let the midwives know when they should get there. I decided just to do what people do, whatever they thought was good. We sent Eric to nap and suddenly power surged, the power surged and went out. Came back nice and fast and I had to send Siong to make sure that Logan's window AC had turned back on and his room, because his room can get really stuffy and hot. Then I had to talk mom back to go to watch and call the midwife back on. There was something hypnotic about it for me. So many happy moms and babies yeah. and midwives and home births. And those and nuns. And those, nuns. Right? God damn it. Mm. Things just seemed like they were moving quickly and I was getting nauseous. Yay for Siong to my rescue. I know I had some somewhere, but her peppermint oil was readily available. So just a sniff of the peppermint oil with every contraction instantly made me feel better. After an hour of these strong contractions that I was feeling in my sacrum, groin, and uterus, we sent for the midwives. And very shortly thereafter, Eric came back and it seemed that things were progressing quickly again. I started needing hand-holding for every contraction. I was sure to keep drinking water and having some energy gels every so often. Energy gels are a great idea. If you can't chew, energy gels. The cold washcloth on my neck was super important too, as well as the pool remaining hot. The midwives came at 
2 a.m., the team of three, and start the health checks. Both baby and I were doing great, but by the time I'd answered questions and had so many things checked, my contractions had slowed down to seven minutes apart and were less intense. Sigh. It had been almost 24 hours of this, and I was hoping we were very nearly done. I had a gel with caffeine and just kind of started crawling about the pool and rocking. Pretty sure this was about for two hours. Eric took a nap here, leaning against the wall. So after maybe 30 minutes of this, I decided to get out, use the toilet, and consider a nap. I was exhausted and now felt like baby wasn't coming anytime soon. That's very disheartening. Oh, yeah. Hmm. My whole previous month, contractions actually picked up more when I was laying down and relaxed and slowed down when I was up and about. So I figured, A, I would either be ready to nap and wake up a bit refreshed and ready to tackle the rest of labor, or B, trying to nap would speed things up. I think this was 5.30 a.m. It was totally B. I maybe spent 30 minutes laying in bed with Eric trying to sleep. I did doze between the contractions, but they were speeding up again and getting more intense. I remember thinking that it felt like the pieces of the rear of my pelvis were separating and stretching apart and giving up on my nap, but was kind of excited about it and got a second wind. I decided a cervical check was the way to go. I was basically all the way thinned out and seven and a half centimeters dilated. A bag of bulging water. Nice. But that was as much intervention as I was interested in. Barb, my head midwife, started suggested trying laboring in a supported squat. It would open everything up more than hands and knees kneeling, and the fact that a squat was such intense discomfort, there was a chance that it meant it was progressing things and moving baby down. We put a towel down, Eric helped support me, and two contractions later, boom, my water broke. Wow. This was 7.30 a.m. roughly. I had someone check the time for me. After hours of being in a total fog and yelling at everyone for talking during contractions, I really wanted to know the time. Labored on hands, labored on knees with Eric sitting in front of me on the couch for just a few minutes, maybe 15 to 20. I was trying to focus on kind of surrendering my body to these sensation, keeping my jaw loose and letting things happen. And this is when I had the first spasm of my body trying to do its own thing. Here I am trying to relax and just accept things, and my hip and lower abdomen were were seized by an indescribable jerk. The best way to word it, and I stole these words from someone in a VBAC group on Facebook, was that my body was trying to dry heave out of my butt. It wasn't exactly my butt, but that general area. It was that strong of a jerk. It took three or four of these for me to realize that possibly my body was trying to start pushing. Also, Q. Legan waking up, but my mom was all on top of that. Good job, Mom. I finally decided I should tell them what I felt like that I felt like pushing instead of holding back we decided to start on the toilet because I had never pushed before and hopefully this would I could figure this out with the right muscles sitting there the toilet was still so painful to be on though it felt like my hips were ripping out of the socket and my quads were in an awful charley horse so back to the tub I went once in the tub I persuade I was persuaded to get back into a squat especially again as the first time vaginal birth it gives extra space the squat here was pretty freaking uncomfortable. It's definitely less than the toilet, though, and the water did help support my weight. Eric stood outside and helped hold me up. When I pushed, he pulled up to give me something to push against. This both felt like it took forever and not very long. From the best estimates I can get, it was about 45 to 60 minutes of pushing. I started the process with baby reasonably far up from my own perspective. Contractions were definitely a bit further apart now, but long. They were slightly less intense than previous, 
but being in a squat hurt quite a bit more than knees, so value neutral. I've heard from many other moms that pushing was almost a relief, but that was not my experience. Actually, I think of hard work of pushing, plus the additional ouch of squat and baby moving down and out, and the longer contractions flared my asthma. I didn't have an inhaler downstairs, and I honestly doubt that using it that late would have mattered. But had I used it, it just had I used it just before starting to push, I think that it would have been helpful. Either way, it took about 20 minutes to figure out how to kind of breathe enough through effectively to help my body move the baby down. The first 20 to 30 minutes-ish didn't feel like they were making much progress. But considering how much more my pelvis, hips, back hurt, I'm guessing baby just had some serious ground to cover. Right about now, I was kind of wishing of the option for some medicinal relief. (laughs) I was feeling a bit like I had made a poor decision to not have drugs. All of a sudden, the pressure changed, and I knew the head was coming. Not quite crowning, but I announced to the room that something to the effect of, okay, that's a head. Also, the worst part of this whole thing was getting baby's heart rate checked between each contraction, especially since by the time she was sure a contraction was over and I had caught my breath, I spent the whole time pushing, really. Now I'm having to shift my legs around so that the Doppler can get in to check. And then I took several moments to find the heartbeat. And then the next contraction is starting and my foot is out of position. This was super annoying. The high sides of the tub didn't make the midwife's job easier for this process. And finally, she must have adjusted some and changed her angle because I finally stopped having to move my foot or, or so. And this helped. Maybe three contractions after that, I felt the head getting close and it was obvious that the head was now really at the exit. This was different and sharper pain, but the pain in my pelvis sacrum was dying down finally, so that was nice. I did have to consciously think of not letting baby regress back in between pushes, and that at least gave me things to think about. Everyone suggested I reach down to feel the head, but I couldn't. I wasn't grossed out, but I was just really needing to focus, and I felt like I distracted myself and let go of Eric's hands and got my head out of the game that it would make it harder. So, no thank you. And I felt lied to again. (laughs) I feel like many women have said, once the head is out, it's one more push for the shoulders and it isn't too bad. And then the rest of the baby mostly slips out. Yeah, no. Oh, no. After the head, it was probably two to three really hard pushes for shoulders. And then still another strong push or two for the rest. There was a cord slightly around the neck, but that was removed. And I think before the shoulders were out. It took a very short second to register that my baby was out and the pain was gone before remembering to reach down and get her. And the bottom of the pool was padded, just remember. Brought her up, and here was small complication number one. She didn't cry immediately. She wasn't super pink right away, but not too scary. But she didn't breathe right away. Luckily, she was still attached to the cord, so that was giving her all the oxygen she needed. Her head was still really coned. I held her, rubbed her, blew in her face, and the midwife stepped in while I held her. Did a little bit of suction, gave a couple puffs of the ambu bag, and she started coughing and sneezing and then pinked up really quick. Hooray! Mm. She still didn't really cry, but made more noise and was definitely breathing. Just a little subdued. I found with water births, baby don't cry that much anyway. It's like it's really, they just don't have the initial shock that's much as big, I think. Mm -hmm. Their whole body doesn't come into the air. It's generally just their face. I haven't had enough water births to really make any... I've never had one. Um, Then I realized we had no idea if we had a a male or a female baby. I realized I've been holding with my hand under the rump, so my verbal announcement was literally, I think it's a girl. I don't feel testicles. (laughs) And I was right. (laughs) There's no balls. (laughs) There's no balls. We are ball free. We got up and out of the pool pretty quick. This was complicated but easier than probably should have been. 
Moved to the bed and again getting placenta was harder than I expected, but not terrible. Barb let me know that I had two tiny superficial tears and not anything. Whoa, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that could even be called first degree, just slightly surface abrasions. Um, Q second hiccup, bleeding didn't quite stop as fast as we would have liked. So I took some medicine, tried some herbs, and my crazy little animated baby crawled up and latched on like a champ, all nice. of which helped, but not enough. So unfortunately, I needed some awful uterus massage. Mm. Yeah, no one loves that. I know that wouldn't have done this if it wasn't necessary. So after everything had gone so well so far, I really didn't want to go to the hospital. So, okay. Bleeding slowed down, but still not slow enough. Now the thought that my bladder was super full, so maybe it was in the way of the uterus shrinking down. All right, so up to pee. Eric got to hold the baby, failed at peeing on the toilet. I really wanted to. Whether I relaxed or tried to actively pee, I just couldn't. I decided to hop in the shower real quick and hoping that would help, as warm water being in the shower usually makes me have to go. Ten minutes and it didn't help. And now I'm asking them to cath me. Yes, with no meds. Oh, my God. Bit uncomfortable, but relieved the pressure. And stopped the bleeding. Goes to show how important emptying that bladder is during your during your labor. I talk about it and people are like, eh, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Midwives now have taken care of all the small issues and we're in great shape. So after some more nursing, getting everyone dry and getting me a bit of food, it was nap time. She wasn't named for another three days, but that was how Jade Talia arrived at 9.06 a.m. on August 30th. She was 8 pounds, 6 ounces, 21 and a half inches long and born at 38 plus 6. Nice. Excellent. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That was a journey. That was that a journey. was a journey. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And it is. And so if you are planning or have clients who are planning a VBAC, no, no, no. That precipitous, or not precipitous labor, prodromal labor is very much a norm. Yeah. yeah. It, whether it's a VBAC or if you've had uterine fibroids removed externally, any sort of surgery on your uterus, very common to have prodromal labor. Yeah. Mm. The uterus just needs to figure itself out. Yes. It needs to figure itself out. Mm-hmm. It's working within some hitches, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, and blowing f- them forward, trying to make it happen, is not, not what it needs. Work. No. no, just no. let it do its work. Cool. Awesome. Well, that was great. Thank, Thank you, you so for much sharing. for sharing. And, uh, yeah. We really appreciate it. So, everybody, copy that person. Yeah. So, send us at thepragmaticdoulas at gmail.com. Yes, Don't please. forget the the. Um, and follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Twitter. Twitter. Yep. Just have... don't follow us around the mall. That's stalking. <laughs> and super creepy. Yeah. We don't want that. And look, we're murderinos. We'll cut you. That's right. We don't trust anybody. <laughs> we don't trust anybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's awesome. Thanks. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Have a good week. Oh, 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 oh,